and welcome to another episode of Family Law Lattes. In today's episode, I'm joined by Gillian Bishop. Gillian has been a solicitor for many years, and for the vast majority of those years, she was specialized as a family law solicitor. She's a trained collaborative lawyer, children law arbitrator, mediator, and family law supervisor. She's also a consultant at Family Law and Partnership, of which she is a founding member. Gillian, for many years, chaired Resolution Skills and Support Committee with the aim of promoting essential skills training and pushing the boundaries of the average family lawyer's knowledge. I'm sure many Resolution members have greatly benefited from the training they received under this committee, as well as the courses run by the FLIP faculty. In today's episode, Gillian focuses on one part of her very practice, the family law supervision. Hello, Gillian. Good morning, Melanie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Uh, very well on this bright Monday morning after all the rain yesterday. I know it's so nice to have a little bit of sun. It's uh, yeah, it's good. Thank you, thank you for coming on to Family Law and Lattes. Welcome to the podcast, um, and thank you for reaching out. I was so excited when I got the email. I was like, oh my gosh, Gillian knows who I am. This is brilliant. She can come onto my podcast. It's even better. <laughs> I thought I was being incredibly cheeky inviting myself onto your podcast. So thank you for being so gracious and accepting me. No, this is absolutely great. And we're talking about a a topic that um, is picking up momentum. I remember first really hearing about it at um, what used to be the Dispute Resolution Conference um, held by Resolution um, a few years ago. It's now got a different name, but we're talking about family law supervision. Um, and I remember sitting in, and it was Chris Mills, I think, who was talking about it, and he he had his book. And of course, I bought the book immediately whilst the conference was like, while, I think while they were talking about it, I was on my phone buying the book, um, which was absolutely amazing. Um, so thank you for coming to talk about this. I'm going to start by asking you to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about who you are. Okay, so I'm Gillian Bishop. I'm the founder of Family Law in Partnership, where I'm now a consultant. And um, I'm a solicitor qualified in 1982, which is 40 years ago. Um, I've qualified as a, a mediator, an arbitrator, and a collaborative practitioner. That said, I do virtually no client work now because I'm concentrating instead on being a family law supervisor, and on developing um, essential skills training, um, primarily through um, uh, my other business, which is called Flip Faculty. Mm -hmm. And we've just launched a a skills training program with the Institute of Family Therapy called Reflex, which we can talk a little bit about later if you'd like. Yes, definitely. I've I've got that as one of my questions to ask at the end uh, at the end of the podcast. So something to look out for. Um, so, what is family law supervision? W- what is it? In a few words, what is it? Where did it come from? Well, where did it come from? Um, it came from Chris Mills, who you've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Chris um, and I met twelve or so years ago at a at a conference called Northern Lights up in Leeds. And we were both doing um, trainings there. And we went to each other's trainings and we got chatting in the bar the way we do at these things. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, he said, um, I'm up in London, let's have lunch. And he, he told me about something he'd started doing in Bath, where he lives. And he said, would you like to try it? I'm thinking of expanding my client base. You know, would you like to try it? Immediately, I said yes. 
and within one session of supervision I was I was hooked and so that was 10 years ago now and I've been having regular monthly supervision ever since and what it does well I think first of all it's an opportunity to offload you know when you're having a really bad day or you've got a really difficult client uh, things are kind of getting to you it's a chance to just go oh my god you wouldn't believe what happened and kind of splurt that out but to someone who has kind of no agenda I think if you're talking to family and friends, they're sort of more concerned about making sure, you know, that you're all right and they come out with all the advice of what well, you should tell them this and you should do that. And similarly, colleagues, uh, you know, will, will be full of good advice. But, but actually, sometimes all you need to do is tell your story and hear yourself telling it to somebody who isn't going to leap in with the answers, but is just going to reflect back to you what you've said and ask curious questions and probing questions to maybe get you think a bit more deeply about what you've been saying. So that was the kind of first experience of it. But I, but over time, what I learned was kind of new ways of dealing with old problems, if you like, um, different ways of asking questions so that you get the answers, the fuller answers that you actually needed to have to rephrase things, reframe things so that the client would understand that you were a human being too who was connecting with them as another human being and not as a kind of lawyer on a pedestal telling them off or, or telling them what to do so that the client would then feel more heard and more able to give those kind of full instructions and to explain why, you know, maybe things weren't um being done the way you might want them to be done as their lawyer. Um, and I just think, you know, the kind of the things that trigger us as family lawyers, we never really get a chance to explore where those triggers have come from. Is it because the person reminds us of someone else? Is it because they remind us of ourselves or some trait of our own that we don't like and mm. we see it as this other person and we we kind of really hate them, but actually it's because they remind us um, of, of, as I say, someone else or of ourselves. Well, when, when you say so, that, actually, I was looking at the, um, the, the introduction again to the Chris Mills book. And I remember when I first read it, what stuck me was, and, and the reason it stuck in my mind is because I thought, yeah, yeah, I've, I've experienced this. Um, we were saying, you know, a solicitor had written uh, something about um, their client, um, no doubt was feeling the way they felt because of th- their you know, their client's behavior. Uh, and you were like, well, how do they know that? How do they know that that's why their client is feeling that way? It's it's probably just because that's what they're, they in some have experienced or they're projecting um, their feelings. And I'm like, how many yeah. letters have I read or have I started writing? And I'm like, why am I writing this? You know, <laughs> now I have to double, double check what I'm doing. Thinking, no, no, no. My client hasn't told me they're feeling this because of this. This is something that, you know, I'm just putting in there. And that's it. I think, supervision helps us really clearly delineate our boundaries between ourselves and our clients and of course if we really like a client and we are sympathetic to their plight and we've heard how dreadful their you know soon-to-be ex-partner is and we kind of buy into their narrative then that's when you get those sorts of letters um written and I I do remember because I wrote the introduction to Chris's book so I remember exactly what you're talking about and and we do it we're in a hurry 
work cross you know we, we get a kind of an email that we don't like and so we bash out a reply without really thinking um so to get back to your original point supervision can help us see where our boundaries are and see where we're crossing them and see where actually we're putting ourselves in a in a dangerous place i think uh, just to sort of conclude on this it really helps build confidence in ourselves as lawyers it helps us improve relationships mm. with everybody clients yeah. colleagues other professionals and i think that it helps us look at what we're you know it helps us look at our own self care how we get that work life balance how we um are able to it gives us a space to say i'm not sure i really like doing mediation or i don't really like doing litigation i want to concentrate my uh, work on these other areas you know collaborative or whatever it is and you don't often have that chance to really stop and think about it so supervision really is anything to do with work that is that we need space to explore well that that leads me on to my next set of questions which are looking at the person being supervised how does the how does the supervision work is it is it a, you're only getting them to talk about their work or are you talking about their whole experience in their firm and their the, everything or is it just kind of the actual family law stuff the legal stuff no it's anything to do with work um so what the topics of conversation are in supervision is entirely down to the supervisee mm-hmm. they bring whatever it is that they want to talk about whether that's a difficult client a difficult colleague a huge success that they've just had and they're sort of bursting to tell someone about because they feel a bit you know uh, shy about posting in the office or whatever it is or that you know at home nobody will understand what they mean yeah so it's anything work related and of course that can sometimes bring in what's going on at home for people because we are the same person at home as we are at work and if something is going on at home that is influencing our ability to do our job or if a case you know comes up that is you know if I'm sure lots of people will have had this whether you know if there's a child dispute for example that the child in question is the same age as as the lawyer's child Mm. or the same you know has got the same issues or maybe it you know brings back memories of them as children when their parents separated so the kind of home life whilst it's important to be able to keep that boundary nevertheless supervision is is in the real world and the real world is that Gillian Bishop at home is the same person as Gillian Bishop at work yeah and they will overlap they will interfere with each other um going the other way of course my husband's always telling me off for being such a bloody lawyer (laughs) when I'm (laughs) arguing with him but it can go the other way you know something's not right it's going to affect the way that you are when you're dealing with your clients. Mm. It's inevitable we are human and that's how that's how it works. So supervision, all subjects available to be discussed. And do you, if you have a, so a, 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 um, 
I was going to say solicitor, but I'm guessing it can be a legal exec. It can be anybody who's practicing in family law, I'm assuming. And is it only linked to to those practicing in firms, as in the ones that are doing the, the law, the legal executives, the barristers, the solicitors, or is it also open to other people that are working in, in family law environments, so perhaps paralegals, trainees, things like that? Well, it, de- it slightly depends on the firm, really. Mm-hmm. Um, FLIP. Uh, pay for anybody who wants to have supervision to have supervision. So when we've had paralegals, they've had, uh, uh, and legal execs, they've all been allowed supervision uh, as much as anyone else. I've noticed in other firms, if they're small enough, then it's the whole team that's being supervised. If they're very big firms, then they're sort of incrementally increasing the numbers of people who are getting supervision. Um, but frankly, anybody who's coming into direct contact with clients um, and dealing with the client's upsets, I think needs to be uh, have the offer of supervision because you know our receptionists and our PAs are as likely to get it in the neck from a, an angry client as we are, uh, and they need to know how to deal with them. But they also need to feel supported through that. So is it a monthly meeting, a weekly meeting, or is it up to, I mean, is there a standard way of dealing with it? Or is it just up to the individual firm or the individual person to say, I need to see someone to discuss a supervisor or to discuss things every, you know, mm-hmm. twice a month or how how often should it happen? And also, um, is it because it's it's basically a kind of a reflective conversation of like this is what you're going through and the person you're supervising you will be asking you questions or redirecting the conversation or asking you to asking you questions about what your how you're viewing the situation but is it also kind of a mentoring do they ever give advice or 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 they can they simply not give advice they just have to go and have that conversation that that discussion uh, exploring what's been going on uh, well, a lot of a uh, lot of questions in that Sorry. in there, just to deal with the sort of practical side of thing. The the absolutely optimal number of supervisions is monthly, and that's what I've always had. So I had supervision monthly when I was in practicing. Now, as a supervisor, I have supervision monthly, um, and that's the ideal. I I do see some people every other month which is better than nothing, but actually I quite often find myself saying to them, I really think, I, you know, you would benefit if I saw you more often, mm. and mostly they agree with that. So I think the thing is, so much can happen in two months. You know, a lot can happen in one month, yeah. but in two months it's kind of too big a job because yeah. they can't remember what it was that they wanted to um, talk about because too much has happened. So I would say monthly. Um and I've completely forgotten what the previous question was. Oh, so no, it's okay. Sorry, because I, I thought I only asked one question and then I, I put like five questions all together. Um, I was asking about the discussions that are had. Is it a kind of a mentoring relationship or is it more of a kind of reflecting back on to, to the person? What is it, you know, what is it you're thinking? Asking those questions that are leading them to reflect on what's going on, saying, look, mm-hmm. you know, this is what's happening. Is it because of this? Is it because of that? We're asking questions that makes them think of it differently. So is it more of a mentoring or no advice, no mentoring, but rather just helping them talk through what's gone on and review it and think of it differently? 
Yeah, well, it's it's not mentoring, but inevitably there is some mentoring in it. It's not coaching, but inevitably that there is some coaching in it. I, I think it really depends on the person, how the supervision goes. So if somebody is, um, you know, wanting to offload about a particular issue, then sometimes all you do is sit and listen ask curious questions, help them work out for themselves by asking those questions, you know, kind of what the hell's going on. But sometimes I will have a conversation with a supervisee and I will say something like, well, how would, what would you like to say to the client if you could say what, what you like? And then they sort of F and blind at me and I go, okay, so what can you say to the client that it would actually be acceptable? And sometimes they genuinely cannot think of anything to say. And then I might say something like, would it be helpful if I made a couple of suggestions, which they always say yes to? And I then would say, well, how about you ask this? And I would phrase the question in a way which they've never thought of. And I say, but can you imagine yourself asking that question? Because I think there's no point giving people, you know, verbatim questions if that person wouldn't be able to ask it instinctively, intuitively. Yeah. Or And if they say, well, no, I can't really ask, then we can explore ways that they could ask it in the way, in their words, if you see what I mean, that, that would feel natural to them. And sometimes I will find, you know, lawyers saying to me, oh, and I'm assuming this, that or the other about the client. And I will say, have you ever asked them whether that assumption's right? And they go, no, but how, how can I do that? Because I'm not a therapist. I'm going, do you need to know the answer to the question? Yes, in which case you can ask it, but maybe ask it in a way because... I, no I notice lawyers ask questions in a very kind of directive, <laughs> you must, if you yes. don't, this will yes. happen kind of way. Yes, very much so. When actually the way they need to ask the question is more along the lines of, I, I can see you're having, you're struggling getting your for me done on time. You know, what do you need me to do to help you? Yeah. What, what, what help do you need at this point from anybody actually? Whereas, a lot of lawyers will just go, oh, you've got to do it. There's a deadline. And if you don't, you'll get a cost order and you'll be, Ugh. so they're full of the kind of punishment, but not really full of the what's going on for you, client. How, what help do you actually need? Now, if nobody's ever taught them to do that, they're not ever going to know it no, and they're not going to guess it in a million years. So it's not about giving advice. It's just about exploring. I wonder if you said it this way, would you think that might make a difference? And most of the time they're going, oh, my God, yeah. And then they come back the next time and say, no, you said do th try this. Well, I tried it and the most amazing result happened. <laughs> the client suddenly felt heard and responded. So so it's not just it's not like therapy where, you know, your therapist just sits and listens to you and asks the odd question. But it's not coaching either So it, because it, it's not a kind of – it's a bit like that, but it's a bit of everything. It's It sounds to me that the benefits you would get out of having a supervisor is not only do you have someone you can offload to, which I think is 
of primary importance when you're a family lawyer you need or somebody working in the family law profession you need to have somebody you can offload to because of stresses of work stresses of clients stresses of court stresses of the other side stresses of your own internal office issues it sounds like you also have the benefits of someone who can provide you with a different outlook or, or help you look at it in a different way or give you um, different ideas on how to address things, give you possibly give you tools of, of, that you can use to work through a problem. Um, it, it sounds like there is a lot of benefits out of there because you're, you're kind of not only providing an outlet, but also providing a way of a new way of doing things or a different outlook to get that person to work better in their practice. There's huge benefit to having family law supervisors. Why are not more of us doing this? What, what's, I mean, you must have people come to you saying, no, we're not doing this because although there's all these amazing benefits, which I'm sure I've only listed a few of them, but amazing benefits, but we're not doing it because it's weird. We're not, you know, family law, we're always a bit like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do modern things, but give us time to think about things for a while first. Um, is it because it costs too much? Or, I mean, what's the affordability of this? Is it, is it prohibitively expensive or is it totally ex- uh, accessible? It's just, it just depends on how firms look at things. I don't know. Again, lots of questions there. In terms of reasons why, I'll come to affordability in a minute, but um, I think with anything new, you always need to have a few outliers, a few Mm -hmm. people who dip their toe in the water and then go around telling their friends how brilliant it is. Uh, And certainly, I mean, it was, um, as I say, everyone at Flip has supervision. So they all talk to their other family law friends and I've just taken on a new supervisee who was bursting with excitement because she's good friends with one of the associates at Flip who'd been telling her about it. And she said, I can't wait to start. I've just heard so much good about supervision and I'm absolutely thrilled to get this chance. So, you know, you need your ambassadors like that going around saying, oh my God, it's amazing. You need it. The biggest biggest, uh, uh, and the most frequent uh, complaint I have is that people say, "Oh well, it's it's quite expensive. We can't afford to." And and by the way, it tends to be quite big firms do it. Of course, I know they have budgets and things. And my answer to them is, "You can't afford not to." Yeah. And it's um, the kind of analogy I often use is that of flood flooding. We've all seen um, we've all seen uh, floods and things on um, our television news, the Somerset level sort of comes to mind. And everybody moans about the fact that, you know, the the rivers had silted up and that the defences hadn't been, you know, which had been promised, hadn't actually been built and so on. And of course, whilst it is expensive to desilt the rivers and build the flood defences, that in itself is a lot cheaper than the huge mop-up operations of the floods not just in increased insurance premiums but just you know the damage to to product the damage to to people's uh, houses etc etc so i would say flood defense is much cheaper than the flood mop-up and to put that into context I, i mean i'm given some um when I was talking a lot about well-being in 2020 and 2021, I was looking at all the reports that were coming out uh, about well-being, and there were lots of them. Resolution did one, Norcare did one, mm-hmm. the International Bar Association did one. 
and I think it was the IBA one, referred to a report that had been prepared by Deloitte in January 2020, uh, talking about the uh, benefits, the financial benefits of investing in the well-being of employees. Now, that was across all sectors. It wasn't just law. It certainly wasn't just family law. But they updated that report in March of this year. And they concluded that for every pound you spend on the well-being of your employees, the return is a minimum of £5.30, which is huge. It's huge. And you think about it, it's not really surprising because you don't have people being off sick so much. You don't have uh, what they call presenteeism, which is people at work doing their job but not functioning on all cylinders. Um, you don't have, in our world, you almost certainly wouldn't have so many clients complaining, not paying their bills on time or wanting massive discounts. You wouldn't have so many people leaving the profession. You know, 25% of young lawyers were um, thinking actively of leaving the profession, according to Resolutions um, yeah. report last May, May, May 2021. So all of those things, people being off sick, people not, you know, not hitting targets, people wanting to leave, people people going to other rival firms who offer supervision, or you're more likely to get your your bills paid, paid on time without discount. Uh, you're likely to have fewer complaints. All of those things are the upsides of the initial outlay. Now, I don't think it's expensive. I, um, If I'm supervising in a firm and I see four people in a day, which is what I tend to do, I get paid £750 for that. And now, sure. okay, if you've got a big team over the year, that could add up to, if you certainly if you're seeing them monthly, that could add, could add up to sort of, you know, £40,000 or something. But in terms of what you benefit, if, if Deloitte's are right, and if you spend £40,000, you get £200,000 back, I rest my case. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, big, the big firms that are, are spending, that are complaining about spending that kind of money or spending any kind of money on supporting their staff will also be spending huge amounts of money on, um, you know, other stuff like networking events marketing business development um you know whining and dying those big clients like well have you actually thought about keeping your staff happy and safe and Mm -hmm. providing them with those tools they need to handle the um, interesting clients they're going to be getting um and i i think for me I've, i've worked in big firms and small firms i found that big firms very rarely have the support you need um small firms will always find a way of providing you of support when they see that you're struggling or if you say that you're struggling. Um, so I find it interesting that smaller firms might be more willing to consider other ways of supporting their team, such as family or supervisors, whereas bigger mm-hmm. firms are always a bit like, mm, this is not, not sure about this weird and wacky thing you're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yes. Well, and it'd be interesting to know for every one pound you spend on marketing, do you get a five pound return? Oh gosh, Probably no, never. Not, I would no, guess. Never. 
Never. And you, you have to invest in those sorts of things. And I think it's the same thing, family supervised, familial supervision, you have to invest in it to have that long term re- return um, and supporting your, your, your staff and retaining them and keeping them happy. And mm. the well-being report that Resolution did was horrifying with the amount of junior lawyers saying, I'm not staying in the profession. I've qualified. I'm less than five years qualified. I'm, I'm leaving because I can't. I can't cope. I don't want to do this. I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying it. I don't feel supported. So, yes. Exactly. I mean, it's more than shocking. It's actually quite scandalous, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But we shouldn't be seeing this as, a, as an a, a absolute benefit. Uh, Definitely. For all of us. Tell me how, well, one question, but two, two parts to it. How did you become a supervisor? I think you touched on it at the beginning of the interview, but how does one then become a supervisor if someone else listening wants to do this? Okay, well, I mean, it goes back to Chris again. <laughs> we were chatting one day about about what he was doing and he was supervising um, all the people who at that time were in flip. We've, we've grown a bit, so we've now got two supervisors, but he was the only one at the time. And I was saying to him, you know, but we all need this, not just one or two firms. And there's only one of you. And I don't know of anyone who's doing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there are other people out there who are doing uh, things like this. Um, I know Anne-Marie Cavallo's company, um, Cavallo Consultancy, offers something similar. And there are individuals who offer something similar, which is fantastic. Um, But we decided, because... Chris was doing some training for me through Flip Faculty. We decided that we would, or he would, <laughs> with my encouragement, uh, develop a, a training program to train people who are interested to be supervisors. So we've um, we set that up, and there's two versions of it. So there's the kind of the version for lawyers who know all about uh, family law but um, don't have this sort of supervision mm-hmm. training. By the way, we're not talking about case supervision. They, yeah. they do that already. But this is the sort of supervision that you and I have been talking about. Um, so that's they do that course over the period of a year and in three lots of two-day sessions. And um, in between the sessions, they practice on kind of gu- guinea pig supervisees and then the training as it develops will be will pick up on the issues that have arisen for the for the trainees. Um, we also offer a, what we call a conversion course, which um, is it, a crazy title, but anyway, it's for people in a therapeutic with a therapeutic background who know nothing about family law. So we spend two days introducing them to the weird and wonderful world of family law. Oh wow! And what they a get crash to course. practice. They get to practice supervising on real life family lawyers, which is always an eye opener for them. Always an eye opener. Yes. Because they imagine lawyers that sort of come along suited and booted, and then they discover that that's mostly not how they look. Um, And uh, so we offer that as well. So the people that we've trained are a combination of, of lawyers, you know, not all old, you know, long in the tooth like me, some of them are a bit younger. Um, some of them are still in practice. And so a combination of lawyers and people from a therapeutic background who are already supervisors within their profession of origin. 
and we've just finished one course. We've got one that is just about to have its second lot of two days uh, next month, and we've got a, a new course starting fresh in January. There's still places available on that one. So anyone listening would like to um, become a family law supervisor, then go to the FLIP faculty website and you'll find uh, all the details there. Yeah, I'll put the um the the link in the um notes for the for the episode so oh, they can have that Thank link. You. What you. is the Reflex program? So, well, the Reflex program kind of grew out of two things for me. One was my experience of being a supervisor and coming across as I was saying earlier, you know, people who didn't really know how to ask questions, weren't terribly clear on boundaries. Hmm. You know, if you say you work 9 to 5 but you're available at, you know, 12 o'clock on a Saturday, you've overstepped your own boundary. So things like that. And I thought, well, we need to know more about this. This needs to be properly taught and understood. So that thought was growing for me. Alongside that, the Family Solutions Group report, What About Me?, which came out almost two years ago, um, November 2020, which was all about how to bring the the children front and centre into the way that we work. There was an annex to that which talked about training for lawyers and what lawyers needed to know to be, you know, really, really good at what they do. And so that triggered me into saying, okay, well, here's a platform that I completely believe in. And I, I phoned... Uh, Helen Adam and Charlotte Bradley, Karen Barham, the kind of three principal uh, lawyer mediators involved in the FSG to say, are you interested in my developing a training program, which they said yes to. So Reflex is is a result of those kind of two streams coming together. Um, It's a joint venture with the Institute of Family Therapy who bring all their therapeutic skills to the party. And we're, we've put together a program which will ultimately be nine courses, which will cover things like the impact of conflict on children, how to ask questions effectively, listening, boundaries, language, dealing with conflict, etc., etc. Um, it's... I think quite unique because it's all it's all online, but it's not like sitting listening to a webinar. It's interactive in the sense that there's exercises and quizzes and surveys. There are a lot of other exercises which require some self-reflection. So when you're thinking about conflict and dealing with conflict with clients, you can't really do that effectively without, first of all, understanding what your own relationship with conflict is you know how was conflict handled in your family of origin how's it handled in your current family is it something that's just swept under the carpet and nobody talks about or is it all out blazing rows you know that then the dust settles and everybody moves on so we need all the time with, with this work I think we need to know what our own thoughts are, what our own kind of position is in terms of um, things like conflict and boundaries and listening, 
were we always interrupted? Did you come from a big family where nobody spoke? Mm-hmm. Or did you come from a big family where everybody's talking over everybody else oh, and nobody it. can remember what anyone else said? You know, that's or it, yeah. something in between. Um, so we kind of need to know who we are because that then helps us learn how to kind of get beyond that into a good relationship with clients. Um, so, it, yeah, there's, it um, involves uh, kind of watching things, doing exercises, reading things, reflecting, listening to experts. When is it live? Is, is it is it ready to go now? Is it somewhere it, where we can launched, log on? We were meant we were meant to launch it on the nineteenth of September, which of course wasn't possible because of the Queen's funeral. Mm-hmm. It was launched on the twentieth of September. The first three courses on the impact impact of conflict on children, questions and listening are live. You can buy them, you can buy them individually or as a package of three. The next. Uh, three will hopefully be out in January stroke February and the three after that sort of April stroke May they haven't been recorded yet so I'm not sure of the exact dates but the idea is that over this academic year you can do all nine and all nine will give you a certificate in essential skills and you can do them at your own pace wherever you like and as often as you want so if you thought oh I remember there was something about this in that uh, in that course. You can actually go back and do it again or go to the bit that you thought was most useful or whatever it is. So and where do we find it? kind of a bit different mm. because it's not just listening to a lecture or going to a, you know, a conference where there's an hour and a half event going on on one topic. This is you be build up to a library like an encyclopedia right. of essential skills that you can keep referring to you can keep going back to them as often as you need to you if you want to going back as often as you like and it where can we find it um you can find it by um <laughs> visiting the website which is uh, reflextraining.co.uk i'll put the link in the in the notes as well so people can Brilliant. access Thank it there thank you so much so that and and so once it's all up and done and uploaded, I'm assuming it's just then anybody can log in at any time. So if, for example, at the end of the year everything is up, next academic year anybody can do all nine in one go, sort of thing. Yes, I mean I think you wouldn't do them all in one go. You'd no, 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 of course. <laughs> Some really keen person. Because I think you know. I think each one would take a minimum of 90 minutes, but probably yeah. even as much as twice as twice you, as long as that if you kind of did it in depth. I so you need to sit down and think about it, reflect. And you didn't kind of skim. Yeah. yeah, but you could do it. I mean, this is the great thing I think about it, is you could do 30 minutes of it now and another 30 next week and another 30 yeah. the week after. Sure. It, you can do it all at once or you can do it as suits you. And also, if you're able to redo them, you can you can listen to them one go and then sit back and just properly, you know, put them partition them in small bite size exactly. and say, "Well, I'm going to focus exactly. on this, and then I'll next week I'll come back and focus on that." And particularly with our busy lifestyles, if we're working full time and juggling family, it's good to be able to say, "Okay, I've, I've listened to this. I know where I need to be focusing on. I want to take my time reviewing it." And that's the great thing about having things online is you can. 
come back and and having them so flexible I mean I as I say I don't really think there's been such a flexible training available before um so yeah hopefully it will go well and people will want more of it I mean always interested to know from people if there's particular things that they would love to have more training on that isn't the law because there's plenty of that um but this is really this is in my view part of part of the investment in well-being because if we were better at these things we wouldn't be so stressed when we come across difficult clients because we would begin to learn how to deal with them effectively so obviously i i would think the ideal would be for people to have both supervision and do these trainings Mm. even if they just did the trainings i think that they would it would really enhance their skills level to a point where clients were beginning to feel that their lawyers, you know, heard them, understood them, and not kind of just treating them like a problem to be solved. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Gillian, I have one more question before we finish up. It is my usual end of podcast question. And I think it's usually the most important question. Everybody wants to know this. Um, My burning question is, what is your favorite coffee drink? Um, I'm really boring when it comes to coffee, I'm afraid. I'm a kind of instant, you know, coffee with milk. <laughs> but if I had to choose a sort of fancy one, it would probably be um, a latte or a cappuccino or something. I'm sorry for being uh, so No, dull I mean, solid, solid choices. This is family learn latte, <laughs> so I'm all up for the, the, for the lattes. Those are good. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm not a big... I only have one cup of coffee a day. Oh, then so. that's... That's fair enough. It you have like a good to be coffee. in the morning because that's the quickest. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today and for um, walking me through family law supervision, what it is and, and how it works. And um, I, I mean, I, like I said, I, when I first heard about it, I was blown away by what was being said. And now I'm even more converted now. So I too will be logging on to see uh, if I can find myself a family law supervisor. Um, Fantastic. Definitely, I think as a one-man band, it's it's good. Well, one-woman band, it would be a um, a helpful tool to have. Um, definitely. So, thank you very much for that, and thank you for your time, Gillian. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Melanie. For more information on anything you've heard on the podcast or to appear on the show as a guest, please email me at familylawandlattes@gmail.com. There will be a new episode shortly. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>